What's up everybody? This is Tanner from TanManBaseballFan.com. Hope everybody has had a great, uh, long, I guess, uh, weekend so far. We've got another uh, day tomorrow uh, coming for us, uh, Memorial Day. And I uh, hope everybody enjoys it out there. Um, so, <laughs> you know, if you didn't know this already, this might come as a shocker to you, but almost everything out there uh, as far as necessities go, uh, it costs a whole lot more than it has in the past. Uh, the prices are, <laughs> are really stupid high for a lot of things. Like there's uh, gas, for example, there's last gas station I was at is like $4 and 50 cents, uh, a gallon. Whereas like a couple years ago is a couple bucks or under. And you know, this summer they're saying that's possible to hit $6. Um, so really unfortunate and uh but you know that's how it goes you know prices go up prices go down and so it's just kind of a, a little bit more of a difficult thing for people nowadays and because of that there are people that have less disposable income uh now than they have over the past year or two and so what that means is that a lot of cards in the hobby uh, have not been selling like they have. Like you don't see knockdown drag out fist fights at uh, Target or Walmart over boxes of cards. You have people complaining on Facebook groups and the forums like, oh, I can't get anything to sell right now. What's going on? And so that's obviously not the case for the entire hobby. There's still uh, certain sects of the hobby, like vintage, for instance, uh, that are still doing very, very well and they're going very strong. Um, but uh, the fact remains that a lot of uh, the newer cards are not as uh, as like super red hot as they were. And again, this is just part of the hobby. Cards go up, cards go down. Cards go up, cards go down. Uh, cards will go up higher. Uh, in general in the future they will also go down that's part of it I I want this sounds like it's uh, common sense but I just kind of want to want to assure people that are new in the hobby uh, that this is just kind of par for the course because I really would worry about the people that are coming into the hobby new and I don't want them to get scared off because of all of the, uh, uh, you know, it possibly feeling like, you know, oh no, the sky's falling and everything. We don't know what we're gonna do. This is, everything's crashing. No guys, like the hobby has been here for like basically a century and a half. And, you know, so it's had its, had its ups and downs and it will continue to have its ups and downs. Uh, but the silver lining on this whole thing is the enjoyment does not have to leave. Like you can always enjoy this, uh, this hobby. Like you can, uh, be excited when things are high because you could sell things for better prices. Uh, you could also be excited when, when prices are low because you could be a much more aggressive buyer. Uh, and so that's kind of, it's kind of an exciting thing to me. Like I think for those of us who have been in the hobby for a while, who have seen the ups and downs, uh, we're probably not going to get too terribly upset or worked up about these sorts of things. We're going to find, uh, be excited about opportunities and different opportunities on both sides of the fence, right? So like I said, when cards are up, 
you have great opportunity to sell. When cards are down, you have a great opportunity to buy. As a collector, it's fun when cards are down a bit because you get to <laughs> buy a whole lot more. And I'm not saying that, uh, again, that you know we're, we've hit rock bottom or anything because there's still a lot of stuff, or maybe almost everything, is still up quite a bit more from what I can tell than pre-pandemic. So, you know, it's not like, so I probably should backtrack a little bit. I'm not saying that like, you know, oh, we've, you know, things are going horribly right now. No, like <laughs> there's still a whole lot more collectors uh, in this hobby than there was before. And I think the hobby is general, uh, you know, in general, is just doing really good. I think it's doing really good right now. It's just not nearly as red hot as it was a year or so ago. But like I said, gas is high, everything else, Everything is high. Like we're just uh, we're having a little bit of a difficult time uh, as a nation, I think, uh, trying to cope with this. And so, because of it, don't have as much expendable uh, income to be able to get the fun things, uh, the fun cards, so uh, that we want, like we did maybe a year ago. So, uh, you know, I, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, being able to, you know, stay in the hobby, um, build something meaningful without a whole lot of cash. Um, I think our uh, hobby has kind of, uh, you know, kind of turned a corner a little bit. Dr. Beckett talked about uh, this on his podcast a while ago, how our, uh, our hobby here has turned from being more of a solitary thing to being more communal. You know, we're excited to share uh, cards with each other, like our latest pickups and that sort of thing. Um, I get excited about that, guys. Like, I really enjoy being able to share with you all what I've picked up and what the story is behind it and that sort of thing. And it's just uh, very enjoyable to me. And as I know it is for a lot of you out there as well. Um, some are secretive. That's understandable, too. I, I get it. I mean, it's, that's perfectly fine. I, I know a guy that's got a tremendous collection and, you know, he doesn't want to tell anybody anything. And uh, I think there's kind of some fun in that, too, right? That to be the the dark horse you know the one that nobody knows much about or whatever <laughs> so that's part of it as well actually that's kind of a funny story there's a guy uh that's a collector that i've uh gone back and forth for over the years and uh it's been rumored that he's got a lot of uh older one of ones uh, that i would like and uh the guy <laughs> the guy is so secretive he will only respond to me in like a few words or a sentence or something and he will never give up any information uh beyond what i'm asking if i'm asking him what he has or whatever he'll just ignore <laughs> you know so okay that's fine you know there's some people like i said that uh, are still stuck in the the old school way of thinking like you know solitary collecting which is perfectly fine there's absolutely nothing wrong with that obviously you know it's your your collection you want to do uh you do what you want with it but uh it's kind of frustrating because when you have somebody like me who's like really like he's trying to share everything and uh you know hear what other people have if somebody doesn't want to say anything and it's like oh what does he have what's going on out there uh yeah it's really kind of funny but uh it's also kind of unfortunate because i think uh some people are missing out on a really fun aspect of the hobby that's really kind of relatively new and uh, yeah, I love uh, I love sharing uh, what I've got or latest trades or whatever you know. And uh, so that's kind of I think where as a hobby 
uh, where we've kind of moved together. Um, and I think that actually can kind of spill over into the acquisitions that we make. Uh, it actually kind of influences what we get possibly because we want things that are like maybe a, a showpiece and not just a showpiece though, like a conversation piece, if that makes sense. So it's not just online, right? It's a piece that like, if you get a card or a group of cards that you, or a collection that you've worked on, if somebody comes over, you want to be able to, uh, uh, you know, have a great story to be able to tell somebody about that will uh, really kind of captivate uh, somebody who is a collector or not a collector. And it's always fun to be able to do that. And uh, so I've got a couple cards like that. And so this is actually kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of one of the fun things that, uh, that made me start thinking about this whole, this whole episode is uh, on Pawn Stars uh, the other day, apparently, I didn't even watch the episode, but somebody came in with an Honest Wagner card. And it's the, I think it was like an E104-2, if I remember correctly, something like that. It's, it's basically, it's the 1910 uh, blue background one. It's the uh, one that's got the same portrait, the same 1903 Carl Horner portrait as the T206 does, um, but with just a beautiful candy blue background. Like it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, and the seller, had, uh, was asking half a million dollars for it. And so the guys on Pawn Stars got really excited about it and everything. And so they actually offered uh, 50,000. So it's a far cry, uh, of course, between the two. And the seller said, no, I don't think so. So he walks away, which by the way, it was kind of crazy in my opinion. I think he probably should have taken it. Uh, but in any event, I looked and I go, wait a second. I've got that card. And so I looked and uh, I mean, it's not like I had to go digging. I mean, I know exactly what I have. Uh, it's a it's a different variation of it. It's an E90-2 uh, that I have, but it's the same exact front from 1910. Uh, Great PSA one for a little bit of paper loss on the back. Uh, beautiful centering, no creases, except for a little, little crease in the corner. Uh, re it displays real nicely. And it's always been a fun conversation piece uh, for me because everybody knows what the T206 Wagner looks like. And so this looks very similar, except it's a blue background. And uh, you know, the, the, the portrait, the, because it's you know, actually art, not an actual uh, photograph, uh, you know, looks a little different, but not much. It's still very recognizable, but it's very fun to be able to show that because a lot of people in the hobby, they haven't even heard of this card before. Uh, you know, so it's put out in 1910 by the American Caramel Company. And uh, it was, if I remember correctly, to commemorate uh, the 1909 uh, World Series where the Pirates uh, beat out Ty Cobb's Tigers. And so Wagner did really well in that, in that World Series. And I mean, there's, guys, look up that World Series, by the way, 1909. There's a, it's a, it's a great series. It's probably, oh, I don't know, I would say, the best World Series of the decade and and even beyond. I mean, it's one of the one of the classics. Um, but uh, there was uh, this one little anecdote that, you know, whether it's true or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, Ty Cobb gets on base and uh, 
keep in mind, he was a youngster uh, in this, uh, uh, you know, in this World Series, as opposed to Wagner, who was kind of more of a veteran. He was like in the in the league already for, you know, about a decade or so, I think, if I remember correctly. Maybe a little, maybe a little, uh, a little less than that. But anyway, uh, Ty Cobb comes out and he said uh, something like, uh, uh, gets on base. Uh, uh, you know, gets hit, gets on first base, and he goes to Wagner. He says something like, uh, "He said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I'm coming for you." And he had some sort of like a racial slur that I don't know if it's offensive or not nowadays. So I'm just not going to use it. <laughs> and uh, so, this, as the story goes, he went to steal uh, uh, second. He goes, "I'm going to steal second or something like that. And so he goes to steal second, and Wagner. Uh, gets the ball and tags him so hard, smacks Cobb in the face and gives him a bloody lip uh, in the process. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to tell that story. Uh, again, whether it's true or not, some historians uh, disagree uh, that that actually happened. I don't know. I wasn't there. It was over a century ago. <laughs> you know, and uh, it was really kind of just a fun little story. And, uh, you know, Wagner, he was considered uh, the best player on the planet at the time and so that was kind of a almost a passing of the torch where Cobb you know kind of took that torch a little after this World Series um, as being the best player on the planet and many people even believe that Cobb was the best ever uh, you know all the way like even decades beyond uh, Babe Ruth uh, which is interesting but in any event uh, <laughs> there's so many rabbit trails you can get on whenever it comes to, to baseball history and all that sort of thing uh, but anyway, so it's a, it's a great card and what it represents, you know, this iconic World Series, historic 1909 World Series between the Tigers and the Pirates. And Honest Wagner, the, uh, the guy that has the most famous uh, baseball card, most valuable baseball card ever. Uh, and this card was put out around the same time. And... Uh, you know, which is really fun. And it's also, by the way, uh, almost as rare as the T206. It just doesn't have that uh, hard-hitting uh, story and, and it's not shrouded in mystery uh, like the T206 is and everything. But all this stuff kind of can be weaved into, uh, you know, a story to tell others. And uh, by the way, also there's another piece it's really beautiful. It's an M101-2 uh, Sporting News. It's a it's a picture of uh, uh, it's a supplement, you know. But the supplement is a picture of Hans Wagner and Ty Cobb shaking hands. I think right at the beginning of the 1909 World Series, and it's just it's fabulous. Like it gives you chills just to look at it. You know, <laughs> I love this stuff. So, anyways, I, I do a YouTube video on this. Uh, this card of mine that, you know, it's twin just showed up on Pawn Stars. And I always love sharing stories like that. But, you know, it's all, what else is kind of fun is as I'm looking at that, I'm looking over at uh, a box on my desk. And it's a box I just got in of 1988 score. And I look at that box of score and it's not, it's nothing paid 13 bucks for it you know like it's nothing but I still love it so much and because of this nostalgia like it reminds me of 
when back in 1989, the dad and me went to a baseball card shop and ended up getting a complete set of 1988 score and a complete set of 1988 score rookie and traded, which was apparently like a big deal uh, back then. And I think Roberto Alomar Jr., uh, he was a big guy in the set for as far as rookies go, Mark Grace was. Uh, and then you have Craig Biggio, who I'm, I'm much more excited about now uh, in that set than anybody else. Uh, but in any event, it was a big deal in the set. And I remember getting those cards. And, you know, so like you had a choice between, you know, you, get, you either get a wax box or you, know, you get a complete set, right? Like, but there's something about a complete set. Like, it's different now, right? Because if you get a box now, then you have a chance of getting a one of one or an autograph or patch or whatever. Uh, back then, you didn't. You know, but when you got a complete set, you had every card guaranteed in one spot. And my goodness, you guys, like a, a brick that was covered basically in red cardboard, 1988 score was just a fantastic thing. It was, it was beautiful. It, you know, you open up the top, there's like, you know, four, five, six different colors of cards. The the backs had uh, photographs as well, which is a first, if I remember correctly, uh, for baseball cards. I mean, they just, they were real nice. The, the card stock was even better uh, than the other uh, companies. And I think there's probably uh, people that will look even more fondly on 88 score than I do. Uh, but I think as years go by, I like it more and more. And I enjoy it. And so 88 score, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of what was in there. I think there's a Tom Glavin rookie and shoot, what else? I can't even think, like for the base, uh, for the base, I can't even think of any, uh, anyone else. I know there were a few other guys, uh, a few other guys in there that were, that were good, but they're, you know, really not worth anything though, is the thing. So, but still, nevertheless, very, very cool cards, very, uh, very colorful from one to the other. I think uh, Score is one of the very few that actually did different color borders um, during, uh, or you know, from the complete set. Like you'd have some that were red borders, some that were blue, some that were green, some that were like a yellow orangish, I think, and then you know whatever else. I mean, some of the red. I don't know if I said that or not yet, but. Uh, anyway, it's really kind of a, a fun set, regardless, and uh, that makes me want to kind of pull out a, a checklist and see what else was in a score because I know there's someone more than uh, more than Glavin in the '88 score set. Maybe uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's going to drive me nuts now. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, but it's kind of funny because like you have this card that's like uh, you know legitimate like showstopper in the Wagner and uh, it'll probably be a card that continues to increase in value. Then you have right next to it a box of cards that's, uh, well, I was going to say over 100 years old, uh, newer, but you know, actually 78 years newer uh, in 88 score. And I look at those two things and man, I just love them both. I love them both tons. Now the thing is, of course, uh, 
those Wagners. There's exactly one out there on eBay right now if you're interested. For 88 score, guess what? You can get them anytime you want. <laughs> you know, you, there's there might very well never be a shortage of 88 score wax. Um, so, you know, but it's, and because of that, I find it interesting because I find it interesting that there's, uh, I guess that's just kind of the nature of the beast, but like how you don't find it uh, too terribly uh, urgent or you don't suffer FOMO if you don't have one because it's always out there, right? Like you always feel like you can have one whenever you want. Uh, and so, you know, that's why I never really, the only reason I picked it up is because I picked up some boxes of 89 Donners and there's a little extra uh, space in the shipping. I said, you know, if you have any, that 88 score box, go ahead and throw it in there too. I'll pay you a little extra for it, you know? And when I got it, I was like, yeah, yes, this is excellent. This is really, really cool. I love it. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't like this whole thing where I was like, uh, so there I was uh, staring at this auction dead in the face for 10 days. And I was counting the seconds down, you know, at the very end. And I, I became victorious from, you know, winning this. You know, it wasn't anything like that at all. Uh, that was the case with the Wagner um, because I was, <laughs> you know, in 2019, I think is when I got the Wagner. And, uh, you know, like I said, you just don't see them. You don't see them come up for sale ever, uh, really. So, uh, you know, there's scarcity. There's a, a, a fear of missing out on it, of course, and everything. And, you know, you know that if it ever pops up again, it'll probably be higher than the last one. It might go down a little bit and go up later. I don't know. You know I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't really tell. But, uh, you know, that's, that's part of it. So the problem is this is I think there's a lot of people out there that are collectors right now that they're addicted to that hit, the big hit, whether that means a Wagner for you or a Franco uh, that's like a, a newer one of one refractor patch autograph, whatever, or a Trout or an Acuna or Soto uh, or Guerrero or Otani, whoever it is that you, that you uh, uh, have been maybe conditioned almost to, you know, to love or whatever, because of the price even perhaps, you know, that, that happens sometimes we get excited about cards because of the value, right? So problem is a lot of the people that are chasing these cards no longer have the funds to get these cards or they're disappointed because perhaps some of these newer cards aren't commanding as much as they were before. So what do we do? You know, obviously, uh, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit is it's so uh, important to be able to really, if you want to really dig into this hobby, I think the way to get the most uh, enjoyment, the most fulfillment out of it is to enjoy and appreciate uh, the, <laughs> I'll put air quotes around this, the junk. Um, I don't see it as junk at all. Uh, the the excitement and like the you know kind of reveling the nostalgia. If you have any, there are some of you out there that weren't alive in the '80s. You know, you don't much less you don't have any uh, excitement about '88 score uh, because you didn't you don't have any memories about '88 score. That's understandable. I get it. Your thing might be 1999 Fleer Brilliant 
uh, Clear Brilliance base cards, where you might say, man, those are gorgeous cards. And yeah, they had some hits. They've got the, the added 99 golds and they had the added 24, uh, you know, 24 karat gold cards that are phenomenal. And, you know, they're unicorns in their own right. Uh, which, by the way, I think somebody is selling a Chipper Jones for a couple grand on Facebook somewhere uh, as we speak. So, uh, beautiful cards. But guess what? You can get a base card of that Chipper for probably a buck. You know? <laughs> and so, that's kind of one of the fun things about the hobby is it's got something for everyone's budget. You don't have to just hit uh, the massive uh, big dollar cards to find enjoyment. You can literally build something meaningful uh, out of just base cards. Let's take Chip Chipper Jones, for example. Uh, you could build a base run of his cards from his playing career, and it gives you something to do. It keeps you in the hobby. It's fun, and it won't break the bank. I would venture to guess that you could probably have a copy of every single one of his uh, base cards from his playing career for well under 50 bucks, I guess. I mean, I haven't checked the pricing or anything like that, but uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, and of course it'll probably take you a little time to, uh, to hunt it down or anything, but that's part of the fun, right? The journey, not just the destination. Um, and you could do that on several players if you want to. And uh, by the way, if you're doing this for a conversation piece purpose, how fun is that to be able to pull out a complete base run in it and maybe even a base insert run too uh, of some of your favorite players it's a nice little library or document uh sorry library or inventory of all of your favorite guys uh pretty cheaply which is great um and so you know there's there's no need to go for two thousand dollars on a single 24 karat card and yeah that's gonna be a jaw dropper it's gonna be a showstopper people will love it and you'll get oohs and ahs and everything but maybe now's the time for us to uh really look at our collections and and remember what what first got us excited about this hobby you know not necessarily just showing it off to people uh but to be able to sit back just you and maybe a, a dr pepper and uh binder of your Chipper Jones cards and uh, you know remember what it was like to open up the packs back in the day to try pull one and how excited you were about them and uh, you know remember the days when you're trading the cards back uh, back in school with your friends if you did that I know not all of us have the same nostalgic connection to baseball cards I know a lot of you out there have just uh, started up for the first time in the past few, uh, several years. And so uh, I think for you all that have just come to the hobby, you can almost live vicariously, uh, bleh, uh, live vicariously through uh, other people uh, and their nostalgic stories. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to hear, like I remember uh, somebody telling me about how uh, their first card, well, let me give you an example of this also, like there's a, uh, uh, a super collector of Daryl Strawberry that had me create a custom jumbo uh, for him. And, and Daryl Strawberry, by the way, like I've grown to really, really appreciate him. So I, I've, he's got a big fan of me now. Uh, just he's changed his life around completely. Uh, he's committed his life to God 
and he speaks at churches all the time and just an incredible guy and he's on Facebook very active on Facebook so I posted this uh, this uh, glow-in-the-dark jumbo that I just created uh, for somebody it's actually a six by nine in a custom holder and inside the six by nine are four custom minis and these minis represent each team that he played for and they're all glow in the dark and so I decided to post that up on Facebook and I uh, um, uh, tagged Daryl in it and uh, sure enough Daryl Strawberry comes up and he goes absolutely awesome and starts putting all kinds of emojis on and everything and so uh, it was kind of a little fun thing that now that's just part of the story uh, for me of my collecting uh, journey and everything through a custom that you know it didn't cost me anything and actually you know frankly it wasn't for me anyways as it is um, but it didn't have to be a you know massive one of one or whatever you know it's just something I created and you know I got some player interaction out of it uh, which is fun but it reminds me of all of the cool cards that uh, Strawberry had out in the you know back in the 80s 83 tops traded 84 Donruss um, it's time on the Simpsons, uh, you know, which is really cool, you know, and there's so many little facets in this hobby and in this sport that we can enjoy and appreciate. Uh, like I said, none of these really have to break the bank. I think that we, and I've talked about this before quite a bit, I think we as a hobby have uh, almost uh, kind of spit in the face of, you know, raw cards from that time period. And we think, you know, what, it's got to be PSA graded. It's got to be PSA 9 or 10 or whatever. Uh, so, you know, in order to really, truly have something special, uh, we've got to have, like, the A3 Tops traded Daryl Strawberry PSA 10 or something like that. But, you know, I would challenge people to, to you know, ask themselves why. Step back and think, you know what, maybe it's a, maybe a, a raw card to put in your binder is enough. You know, and then you can kind of go on to the next thing if you wanted. That's just my thought. I mean, I've uh, I've fallen into the the love for PSA from time from time to time myself, you know. So I don't think it's anything necessarily uh, bad, but you know, I wouldn't think that uh, you know because I don't know how much a PSA 10 83 top traded strawberry is going to go for. I don't know if it's a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. The 10 thing is probably closer to a thousand dollars, but I don't know. But the base card might be 10, might be 20. I don't know. Uh, so it's kind of fun to be able to have that same card and you know you don't have to have it graded perfect or or you don't have to have it as like a buyback autograph one of one you know it's i think as a hobby as a community i think we need to uh, really as collectors uh, individually i think we just uh, need to really be able to get back to enjoying those cards for what they are and not the plastic that's wrapped around them or the stamping uh, that's on them or anything either. Same thing goes for, uh, you know, if you want to do like newer cards, I mean, <laughs> Tops has done a fantastic job of coming out with some really amazing insert sets. And, you know, they're beautiful and they're really cheap, you know, like the refractor. I think there's a, uh, there's a, I picked up a uh, 2022 Tops pack from Walgreens, I think about a month ago, and there's a um, Mike Trout in there. It's a refractor. It's not, you know, not worth more than four bucks or whatever, but beautifully designed, beautiful refractor. Like if you want to get into cars that look good, that are cheap, you know, you can work on building sets like that. 
you know, I, I would imagine they probably have a super fractor version or whatever. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but don't worry about those. You know, just uh, the base refractors themselves are beautiful as they are. You know, so it's just uh, it's just something to uh, something to think about. Another thing is, uh, you know, really kind of if you're going to be building them out into pages, uh, maybe the way to go about it. Let's say you love rainbows, is to uh, uh, get the three highest numbered cards and put them in a row and do that with three different players. You know, that'll be something that'll be aesthetically pleasing to you when you uh, go through the pages of your of your collection, which is really fun too, right? It's uh, I think that's enjoyable. There's a, a collector out there, uh, I think his name's Colin, if I remember correctly. Colin, if you're listening, howdy. Um, he collects Conseco cards and uh, what he did is he, he was very particular about how his collection was gonna present itself in pages and binders. And I think that's a great way to go about it. Um, Cause that way you're not at the mercy of whatever things numbered based upon what the card companies are saying. You're doing it for how you like it to look most in your collection. That way you can pull the binder off of your, uh, you know, off of your shelf. And like I said, with that, uh, you know, can of Dr. Pepper, whatever it is that you like to drink, you know, you can sit back and enjoy them and, and love how the, the parallels look together and, uh, you know, just have a, have a great time doing that. Uh, I remember there's somebody that was on, uh, on uh, Twitter that posted a picture. I, I wish I knew the name, but, uh, you know, there is one of the Ricky Anderson guys uh, out there. So Kent is, uh, is one of the big super collectors of uh, Ricky Anderson. Uh, but he, either he or one of his friends, I think it was, posted a picture of him and his son going through like an unbelievable number of binders of Ricky Henderson. And there's, you know, the binders, they, I saw 91 Donner's MVP and, you know, multiple copies of that and everything. It's just like, gives you, gives you a nice feel good, you know, kind of positive vibes, just looking at something like that. And it didn't need to have one of ones or whatever you know you didn't have to worry about like you know looking at like oh yeah wow that's really cool it's the newest latest greatest super fractor or whatever uh just a fun fun collection to be able to just go through all kinds of uh, cards from the junk wax era you know i mean there's like i said guys there's so many ways that you can find enjoyment out of this hobby and you don't have to spend a whole lot of money you know and uh, uh of course I, i've said this before as well i mean eventually you know if, if you're not liking the direction that you're going with this you could always sell your collection and uh, get something that's singular that's really special down the road uh, if you didn't want to save up and you know because there's a couple ways you could go about this right you can either uh, stay active in the hobby and complete your little sets and all that uh, and maybe sell later or trade or whatever you want to do great thing about the hobby also is like it's very fluid and liquid you could do whatever you want you could buy sell trade whatever uh, or you could uh, go inactive for buying save up and get that one special card whether it's a super fractor or an out of five red that you love or whatever it is uh, there's <laughs> there's just so many ways you can go i uh, i personally think it's great to be able to have some big ticket items uh, as well as uh, some uh, a smattering of lower items you know there doesn't have to be you don't have to have nothing with jaw-dropping pieces in your collection um, you just have uh, uh, things that uh, 
you really love to be able to talk about and then other things that you just love looking at and and all especially uh you know for me it's junk wax uh, right now i really like seeing that stuff in my in my office and hope i can pick up some more at some point here in the in the near future uh, but then there's those big pieces you know the big pieces i really love and so i think uh, i'll probably try to end on this because i haven't talked about this one in a while uh, like i wrote i spent months <laughs> guys like this is this is a a fun card that is something that i've really enjoyed uh being able to have as a conversation piece uh it's something that took me it, it actually kind of spent you know caused me to spend months uh knee deep neck deep nose deep i don't know into uh, 19th century newspaper periodicals um and it was fun to be able to really read uh, what was going on. And I actually wrote a huge article about this about a year ago, I think it was. Uh, and it literally might have been close to almost exactly a year, I think is how long I've had it. Uh, and this is the 1887 Gypsy Queen King Kelly, uh, large. It's a very rare card. It's one of his rarest cards ever. And uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, mystery that was around this. I'm going to forget a lot of the story here, but this is kind of the fun storytelling part that I enjoy about this hobby so much. So, you know, stick around and listen to this. But, uh, and also, there's something else. I think I did a podcast reading this about a year ago if you want to check it out, but I'll give you some of the highlights. Um, so, about a year ago, somebody reached out to me on one of the forums and said, Hey, listen, Tanner, I know you love King Kelly. Uh, I think it's time for me to move on uh, from this card to something else and I was flabbergasted like I could not believe my eyes when he showed me a picture uh, Gypsy Queen like and I know that you all know about old judge cards how rare they are like there's it's not uncommon for uh, old judge cards in the PSA pop report to only have a few graded or whatever of each um, Gypsy Queens are way 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 rarer um, rare still are the large versions and nobody really knows that's kind of the fun part of it nobody knows why the large versions were created uh, or where or how or, or for what reason and there were uh, I think nine or so uh, of the large versions from 1887 Gypsy Queen that have been created uh, and I think the majority of them were from the New York Giants but then there's also King Kelly and there's another guy, uh, I don't know if it's Tiernan. Uh, I don't remember, it's been a long time since I've even really thought about it to be honest with you. But nobody really uh, knew much about this card, about this card type. They just know that they're very, very difficult that uh, in total for all of these nine cards, there are less than 50 examples to exist like total uh, for all of these players. And uh, you know, Keith Olbermann has uh, you know, has almost a set and there's a couple other heavy hitters that have some of the, you know, the majority of the cards or whatever. Uh, and so this one guy has the King Kelly to me, that's like the crown jewel of the set. You know, I love it. Uh, and that's not, that's not the case from the, from a rarity perspective. It's not the rarest, uh, in the set necessarily. Um, but it's the biggest star, um, in there. And there are some big stars in there, but King Kelly is the biggest. So, um, 
I remember seeing this picture and just my jaw dropped. I was like, okay, I've got to see how I can get my hands on this. And so I ended up uh, doing a deal and another guy that I know, uh, Jay, he's one of the um, authors of the old judge book. He reached out to me and said, hey, Tanner, I've got this, uh, this program uh, from 1887, I think it was, of, uh, uh, what was it called? It was like the California tour or something where this team, um, you know, this uh, group of baseball players toured out over to California and did a little barnstorming tour over there, played against the other, the California league teams. And so I go, huh, that's interesting. And the reason why he offered it to me is because King Kelly, uh, his portrait was on the front of this program. And I mean, I've never seen another one before. He had never seen another one before. This is actually in uh, the dryer collection at the gallery in Santa Barbara. Uh, this exact copy was there. And I go, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want this thing, right? So I ended up getting it as well as a nice little fun companion piece, like just beautiful. It's really cool. And the front looks like a, uh, a Wild West Wanted poster, which is actually, you know, true to the time period, right? I mean, it's probably what you would have seen in that time period of like, you know, Billy the Kid or whatever, you know? And so that kind of adds to the allure of this thing. So uh, I ended up getting this and I kept thinking in my head, like this King Kelly is coming and, you know, this, uh, this program's coming to me. I started thinking like, why on earth, like what are the origins of uh, this Gypsy Queen set? Like, why was it created? I felt like, you know, I had to crack this case somehow, but I didn't know if it was possible because there are people that are far smarter than me and far in, more interested in this stuff than I am, maybe, <laughs> that have, you know, had decades upon decades upon decades to really kind of research this thing. And furthermore, why are there less than 50 total examples? Why hasn't there been another one of these programs that have been seen? Like, it just doesn't make sense. And so one night I remember really kind of thinking about it and looking, I go, huh, I wonder. So I ended up looking at the checklist of these Gypsy Queen Larges and looking at the lineup of the California League Barnstorming Tour. I go, oh my gosh, these cards, the nine in this Gypsy Queen Large set matched the lineup from the California tour perfectly, top to bottom. I go, oh my gosh, I cracked the code. I told some of the older old judge guys that have, you know, uh, really kind of been in on the set for a long time. And uh, they go, oh my gosh, I never realized that before. <laughs> so uh, based on that, it appears as though the set was made specially for the California tour. And by the way, uh, you know, I read something in the San Francisco Chronicle, it was, I think, uh, that uh, they, uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, so forgive me, guys. Like, it's, I'm just going off memory, and I haven't even thought about this for about a year now. But uh, anyways, they, they talked to the giant uh, front office for some anniversary for this California tour deal, and nobody in the Giants knew it. Like, they never even heard of this California tour. Like it, it was seemingly lost to time almost. And so, uh, which is kind of a fun deal, you know, also because it's like, wait, what? Nobody's heard of this. And you know, where's the, where is the, uh, 
the you know the information or the research or whatever on this like why does nobody know about this tour and uh, so come to find out that in the early 1900s I think it was the very early 1900s uh, San Francisco suffered a massive earthquake and it demolished like I think it was like 80% of the city or something fires were crazy and I mean you want to you want to get sucked down into a rabbit trail uh, look that up like there there's like some interesting audio about it I think they there are a few videos that are on it I mean it's incredible but because of this uh, almost all of the you know paper ephemera of the time like is lost so let's play devil's advocate here and let's say this uh, California League set um, I'm sorry the the California barnstorming tour set they used 1887 Gypsy Queen Larges uh, were created specifically for this California tour as it looks like it is let's say they were there in California and only a few people perhaps had some of their collections as they moved out of California at some point. Well, that means the rest of them, including that program, uh, probably went up in smoke. So it's not just necessarily that not many have been printed. It's that out of the few that were printed, they're probably have been gone now for well over a century, like literally up in smoke, like no more. They, they don't exist, which is really kind of, kind of adds to the allure of this whole thing and so a lot of people don't know about the story I mean shoot they don't even know about this like uh, this uh, California tour which was big 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 news back then guys like it was a big deal in baseball and uh, you know it's just it's amazing that like a natural disaster almost caused this whole thing to lose you know to be lost to time so the other part of this, and this is kind of more controversial, there's uh, a couple guys that disagree with me on this, uh, notably uh, baseball's uh, historian, official historian, John Thorne, he, he, he basically straight up told me he doesn't, he doesn't agree with my assessment on this, but it's okay, we can have our differences in opinion. <laughs> and, uh, but one of the things that's kind of interesting, and I've done a lot of research on this, I've bought several books about, the, about this, but uh, there's a, a poem called Casey at the Bat. And there's been a lot of speculation over the years, like who is Casey? Who is the, uh, who is the actual uh, uh, example? Like who is the person that, uh, that was being written about whenever Casey at the Bat was written? And so a lot of people have come forward and said, it was me, it was me, it was me. And uh, I tend to believe that not only was it King Kelly, uh, as the main influence, because I really think it was an amalgam of a lot of people. Uh, but not only do I believe that it was King Kelly, I believe that the inspiration for Casey and Casey at the Bat came from King Kelly during this California barnstorming tour. And uh, I wrote about that in my article. I think uh, you can look at it on my site, tamanbaseballfan.com, in the blog section for about, about a year ago. It was called like 134-year-old mystery or something like that. Uh, check that out. There's a lot more documentation I have on it. Uh, but it's really kind of a fascinating story. So <laughs> the fun thing is, is if, and we'll never know if this is true or not, but if, if this is right, if King Kelly was the inspiration for Casey, for Casey at the Bat, that means, and during the Barn Storm Tour is, you know, what it sounds like to me, uh, that 1887 Gypsy Queen... King Kelly is not only just one of his rarest 
cards ever made, it's also the rookie card of Casey at the bat. And so that, my friends, is a fun conversation piece. And I love it. <laughs> I really enjoy telling that story. There's not many uh, people that, you know, come over or whatever, you know, I can say, hey, do you have 25 minutes or 30 minutes for me to tell you about King Kelly? <laughs> but whenever I can tell the story, I, I do, and I just, I love it. You know, there's, and again, this is something that not many people uh, in our hobby now even really know. So, uh, but, you know, it's, it's all about storytelling, I think. And as I was saying, I'll try to end this here by saying, you don't have to have like this super rare 19th century card to be able to tell stories. You know, you can tell stories with uh, base cards with your own uh, history and you could fervently tell people uh, with passion why these certain cards mean something to you. And, uh, you know, <laughs> guess what? You got a conversation piece there. So uh, a lot of ways you can have fun in this hobby. You don't have to break the bank to do it. So for those of you that are worried about the state of the hobby now, don't be. Be excited, take advantage of, uh, of it how you can, meaning if cards are going lower, be a buyer and enjoy uh, picking up cards that you love, that you truly love for a lower price. You know, that's what I'm gonna do for sure. And uh, I encourage you to do the same. So anyways, as always, thank you guys for listening. Um, by the way, if you have a topic you'd like for me to talk about, uh, feel free to reach out, tamandbaseballfan at gmail.com. Uh, I will be more than happy to uh, you know, listen to any requests. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll talk about it in the uh, podcast later. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Have a great day.